Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Wait, so you've only been doing your therapy now on Zoom? Yeah, for like the last year, year or so since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And how do you like it? At first, I didn't like it very much, but... um, Because I feel like you had a whole ritual around going there. Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Not many people say that. Oh, no, I love it. I love it, too. But I will say, like, I've cried more in therapy than I ever have in the last eight years, which I feel like is me being a little bit more in touch with, like, like my feeling side and not my, like, everything is under control side. Mm. I don't know, because you were like, we were just like by ourselves in isolation and stuff like that. It allowed me to be with myself and explore deeper things. And because I'm like in this work, like kind of hardcore, it actually ended up being much more productive than I thought it would be. Wow. Well, isn't it crazy? There isn't a relationship in your life where you can just completely be in your emotions and authentic and it doesn't have to be formal therapy it's just therapeutic yeah exactly it kind of kills me that we're not surrounded and we're surrounded by people all the time and you can't do that when you're with them Mm. i learned that we're balls of intuition when we're born right and like that's why children do what their parents do not what they say right and you're like oh my god how did my kid know that I know how to booty shake or like whatever it is that you're just like, I didn't teach that to my kid. They're intuitive and they know that. And then Mm. we're taught to suppress that intuition and learn the rules. Mm. Your name goes at the top right-hand corner of the page and then it's the date and then it's the, you know, like whatever it is. And you are rewarded for following the rules. Mm -hmm. So then your intuition, when you're just like, but I don't want to put my name there. It doesn't actually make sense for me. Mm. Well, you're not following the rules. That's not what we do. That trains us super early to not not be our full selves. Mm -hmm. We're taught that who we are fully, there are inherent flaws with that. Then we are constantly like trying to negotiate that to the point where you're a grown ass adult And you're just like, there's nowhere for me to be fully myself. Mm. And then when you start going to therapy or you do work like that, you are trying to reincorporate that intuitive nature back into the headspace and find balance because our society just rewards headspace, organization. Mm -hmm. Like this is the protocol. These are the rules because that is a way to measure success or measure um, good and bad. I hate that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you're calling the intuitive part of us, you know, we're born, that essence of us is the intuitive part of us. I love your languaging of that. I always think of it as the blueprint of us, the real us that you can't educate out of us, that you can't shame out of us. Like the three of us love that creative part of ourselves. I I think it's as real as we can ever get. Yeah, but so much of it is spending your life unlearning all those things that you learned as a kid just so that you can get back to who you actually are. 
I mean, that's why we're going to therapy. That's why we're doing all the things is just Mm. to unlearn what we were taught to get back to who we actually are inside. Julie and I were just having a conversation and she brought to my attention how many things we just accept from our parents because we live inside of our moms, right? We come out of our moms. And so through their chemistry, there's just things about them that we are born knowing. We know them, but we never talk about them. I think this is exactly why we have problems in the world. This is why we have wars in the world. This is why we have racism in the world. This is why people are afraid to be authentic. Because in the chemistry of the womb, you are not just apprised of your mother's state, but everything she comes from and believes. And you're swimming in that, taking that in as a fact, before you have received the ability, unfolded the ability to look at things for yourself. Because mm. we have to survive first. We have to make sure that mother will feed us. We imitate first. That's what humans do. And then, like you guys were talking about, <laughs> we analyze ourselves and the world around us to clear it and to restructure our lives around our now understanding of reality. But if you guys think about when your mothers were carrying you, does it make sense of how you, like what you revert to, how you feel, your association with life, who you think you are? That's why I love zodiac signs. Mm. We feel certain ways in the winter. We feel certain ways in the fall. We feel certain ways in the summer. And these nature definitely affects our moods, right? And affects how we are operating in the world. Maybe we're like hibernating more so in the winter and all that stuff. And we're more out in the world when it's summertime, right? What I find interesting about what you're saying in relation to zodiac signs is if you're being incubated in the winter, there is a whole different thing happening, right? All of that stuff definitely informs the baking process. All of those Mm. things, we're all connected constantly. I love the idea of, well, I love and I hate it, but um, the idea of transgenerational traumas and transgenerational things that are imposed on us, right? So I went to a talk at Melody's shop a while back with Dr. Joy DeGroy about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome, where you're looking at my grandmother was pretty awful to my mom as the oldest girl. My mom was brutal to my sister. And I can only imagine what happened to my grandmother, right? A woman who had to pick cotton, who her mom was an alcoholic. But it wasn't until, you know, my sister, who has two master's degrees, she went to seminary school at Duke, where she literally studies these concepts and these ideas, which is actually interesting how she got to that space to want to study these things, right? Because she's Mm -hmm. probably trying to make sense of her own life, then decides this ends with me. Mm. But like how much work had to go into doing that thing. I look at my life and I have a lot of empathy for people that go around kind of zombie-esque or blind-esque or not fully getting it. 
mainly because I probably would be that person too if my life worked in the way that my parents presented it to me. I would not question it. Right. That's most people. Like whatever you're being incubated in, if it works for your chemistry and how you come out, great. However, being a gay person in my family, I don't fit into the narrative that my parents have set up for me, mm-hmm. which makes me question everything. Where if I look at my brothers, they fit pretty much perfectly into the world that my parents set up for us. And unless Mm. I was there, or one of us, uh, it just happened to be me, was there to be like the queer person or the alternative person that didn't fit in, we would all just be going around perpetuating the same kind of damaging narratives that were taught to us because that's what was taught to them. Exactly. I think it was like a week ago you were interviewed by Collier Meyerson. And in that interview, you said, the more I embrace who I am, the freer I feel, Mm -hmm. and the more I am true to my practice. Mm. How did you get from that imprinted place, which you just shared with us, to the place where you said? I mean, it's still a work in progress, but I think when something doesn't work, the way I'm wired is I want to figure it out. I want to be included. I want to be a part of, I want to make my family proud because those are also impressions that my parents put on me too, to make the family proud. And then this other thing that says that I'm a disappointment or bad or whatever, I'm just like, uh, how do I negotiate these two things? This is really confusing and complicated to me. And just trial and error, being alive, but also being critical and open around how I exist in the world allowed for me to discover myself. So Mm. I went to art school because I was like, I need to learn how to think. The way that I was taught to think was very religious, very small-minded in my opinion. And my parents gave me what they could give me. But then I was like, there's so much more out there. Mm. I need to learn how to cultivate my creativity. I need to learn how to critically think about things differently. And I want to refine and understand my creative practice and process better. So I went to school to really incubate and challenge those ideas and to be surrounded by people that I think are on a similar quest. Mm. I don't know how I knew that as like a 16, 17 year old, that that's what I needed to do, but um, I did. And when I went to art school, I went with like the intention of like fashion and being commercial and like, you know, whatever. And I ended up in fine art, which really like blew my brain open. And I was just surrounded by people that used very esoteric language that to date, I'm still like, wait, what does that mean? (laughs) But that helped me to start to think differently about how I operate in the world. Mm-hmm. My parents told me when I went to college, be careful, stay in the word because the devil will be busy. Mm-hmm. He will try to send his demons and try to make you gay. Wow. Meanwhile, like when I look back on it, it's like I was gay the whole time. Yeah. They, didn't give, <laughs> they didn't give my brothers this talk, right? right? They gave it to me. And so when I met my best friend, Sari Zamora, this is the first gay friend I've ever had. I literally, no kidding, literally thought he was the devil. Mm. And that 
was weird because this is also simultaneously the first person that has shown me pure acceptance and pure love Mm. and didn't judge me for how tacky I was or how over the top I was or how cheesy I was. None of it just allowed me to be Mm. because they saw the light that I illuminate, that I am. And that sent me down this quest Mm. of like, hmm, this is strange. If this person is giving me this much love, how could they be so awful? Mm. Plus, it was such a huge mirror for you. Mm-hmm. When I first met you, you know what really surprised me that day? Is how clear you were. Not just say something about it like conversationally, because you'd given a lot of thought to those things. What do you think before full bloom, before the coffee shop, before Juicy Couture, before everything, what were you still, even though you weren't doing what people think of you today as? Oh, I have always seen myself as a creative light. I did an exercise in therapy a few years ago where we had to like model our inner child or something like that. It was, it bursted me all the way open. I just remember when I was like, you know, closing my eyes and really thinking about who I was as a child, I just kept seeing a beaming light. And then the Mm. way that I explain it is like a really complicated chandelier that Mm. as I got older, people didn't know how to change out or clean the crystals or change the bulbs because it was like two, there were so many of them that you didn't necessarily know that a couple of them had gone out. And so, like, I still shined, but, like, I kept getting more dim. Mm -hmm. And so in my adult life, like, I have just been working on restoring the beam of light that I am. I've always had a very bright, big smile with lots of teeth. And um, I just see that little boy. And he was just so innocent and so, like, just ready, full of love to just, like, give it to anybody and then just like i don't know my poor parents they didn't know necessarily what to do with that you know they did the best that they could and my mom is like my mom has done a lot of work on herself to like really try to renegotiate like things in our past but i just know like i was literally the love of that woman's life you know and i don't know like I've always been pretty clear about who I am and what that is, even though I didn't fully understand myself sexually until I was an adult. But I always knew I was a little different, a little weird, a little, you know, but I was like, that's what makes me interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm. Which is why you create things that can't be duplicated. Mm. I mean, one thing I notice about your creations, uh, they evoke so much emotion. And it's like you take beauty and then something wild, something natural, and then something we've never seen put together. And you create something that evokes, I think, shows me we can be more than we dreamt. There it is. That's literally how I try to go about things is just, well, why can't I put these two things Mm -hmm. together? Why can't, I mean, I'm an emotional train wreck. I'm a double cancer. (laughs) cancer sun cancer moon sagittarius rising and take it or leave it but i will tell you 
I am like, I don't even care about things. And I will have a crazy emotional reaction to it before I'm like, Maurice, you don't even care. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like, that is how I lead. That is how I create is out of my emotions. When I go to do like a walkthrough for a party or a wedding or whatever, I don't know what I'm going to do until I meet the person, until I see the venue, until I know what they're trying to communicate. That's when it starts to speak to me. And I've tried a couple times to be like super prepared and like come up with concepts and all these different things, but does not work. And I know if I can handle it or not, once I get there, it comes to me. Oh, I so relate to what you're talking about. Oh my gosh, it's it. You have to trust that when you're there, it will happen to you and through you and for them. And Sushi, is that how you work as well? Mm, It depends on what. With definitely with photo shoots or things like that, there's only so much you can plan until you get there and you have all the all the elements and ingredients, and then you see how they all actually go together. Because in theory, something can go together, but, you know, until you're there in person, you just don't know. It's like you prepare for everything you are uh, setting your intentions to do and to be, but actually the blossoming part of us doesn't really happen until it happens. Mm -hmm. It's always like that mystery, don't you feel? I mean, the funny thing with me is like, Every arrangement I go to make, I think I'm going to do something new and different and interesting. (laughs) And I'm literally surprised when it turns out beautiful because I'm like, hmm, I didn't know what was going to happen. Mind you, they all look exactly the same. No, they don't. I mean, they don't, but there is like a vibe to them. Mm -hmm. Now, like my staff will get really irritated. Like they'll just roll their eyes and I'll be like, oh my God, this is so pretty. Oh my God. Like, because I'm kind (laughs) of having a low-key out-of-body experience where I'm just like, I didn't know what was going to happen. They're like, bitch, you've done this a thousand times. How do you not know by now? And I'm like, I don't know, because I was trying something different. They're like, it looks the same. I was like, I know, but like. (laughs) Well, but no, I think that you have a signature. There's something about you. It's almost like a fragrance about it where you're just like, God, this is Maurice. But they don't necessarily look the same. It just has that signature thing about it where only you put things together in this way, but every time you put them together, they're different. Yeah. Yes. And you know how you like have your favorite song or your favorite track, and there's something magical that happens to you when you hear it. Now, you could hear that same band or that same performer live, and you love the song, but it's not that crazy thing that happened on that recording. And that's what you're describing. You bring your Maurice-ness to everything you touch, but what you can't do is define what that is. And it's inter- like Lowe's Hardware has been in service for 100 years. And so they're doing like a centennial collection of paint and different things. And then they're going around remodeling people's homes in mm. the decades. So, and I'm the host and designer. And so the first one was we took a 20, a 1920s farmhouse and updated it to the 2020s version. Mm. And like, you know, because it's COVID and they're on the another coast, it's like, it's a collaborative effort and it's only Lowe's product. So we know the wheelhouse. It's not like Maurice's signature mm. aesthetic. It's more like, how would I interpret this through my lens a bit? 
which is a lot more watered down and beautiful and more livable for like an average consumer. And um, they write a lot of copy for me. They write a lot of things that I just kind of have to say. And it was fascinating to me because I was like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Like, what am I going to wear? Will this even feel like me? Will I be able to do "Hmm, Okay. Well, I sit down, like I obviously have pre-read everything because I can't read live. I get really stressed out. And um, I was just like, who is this guy? (laughs) Wow. I just like turn into this whole being that is like, you know, kind of my on-camera persona. It's not fake, but it's like a heightened version of myself. And then when I have to do all the readings and all the things, I was just like, oh, you're like kind of good at this. And you're like... It was wild. Like, I have often have out-of-body experiences where I watch myself doing wild shit. Um, Does anybody have any recordings of you teaching your dance class? (laughs) Because I will tell you guys something that I am the furthest thing from a dancer possible. And Maurice was teaching this dance class in my neighborhood And it was the greatest dance class I've ever been to. And I only went just to see Maurice once a week. (laughs) But literally, it was like going to a Tina Turner performance every week. And the way that you curated the music, your scripting, like it wasn't even scripted. But every time you're like, imagine yourself with the 36 inches down your back and you're wearing the heel and you're walking down cobblestones with the 36 inches And a heel. Yes. And you would be so specific about every single thing. It's so funny. I totally (laughs) forgot about that. But it's so What? It's just like, well, the nuance of how I did that. But you're right. I don't know. I just like want to take people on my fantasy. Yeah. Specificity is what makes things come alive. Yeah. And so the more specific you can get around something, the more you can actually activate someone's imagination Imagination. Mm -hmm. because for me often like like if i'm doing like a a meditation and it's like one of the um where they're talking to you and they're like imagine you're walking up a set of stairs and they're like beautiful cloud Mm -hmm. you know whatever my mind can't get there i'm always just like but like what do the stairs look like are they carpeted (laughs) (laughs) that makes so much sense though why you know julie was saying you're so clear because you literally think through things in such a different way. You think you you see the whole thing. And I think that's what really makes you a visionary beyond anything else. Because you have this grand vision at the end of things. And you're generous enough to la- allow everybody to accompany you on the way there. Versus mm. isolate people and be like, this mm. is how it is. And this is what I see. And people are looking at it and being like, what? You know, like no one can ever see what you see, but I think what you do and I, the part of you that's such a light is that you literally walk everyone through this vision, through everything you do. Like you bring beauty to every space. You've done that for me in so many ways, but in my, you know, on my wedding day, I think that what you do is you just beautify every space you walk into. And that's whether you're there in a professional way or not. And yeah, it's interesting because I think I've learned that I can't get anywhere. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go by yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And um, I don't know. I really feel like there's enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's for me is already for me. And it's just a matter of time when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or in the way in which it's going to happen. And so I try, even though I'm human, right, and I have a crazy ego and I was raised by a narcissist, so it's like a lot of work to like dismantle that. But I really, at the end of the end of the end of the end of the day, know that what is mine will be for me and that what other people have is what they're supposed to have. And so it doesn't bother me. In fact, I love it sharing with those that are around me, Mm. Um, especially those that I care about and and mean something to my life because I know how great it feels when somebody actually sees you Mm. and somebody knows a thing to like present to you that makes you feel like, I mean this. And you're like, yeah, of course you deserve that. And, you know, beauty to me is one of the most amazing subversive tools that we have to use. And it's a tool I love to play with. I've been obsessed with beauty for like, since I've been a little kid, I've been redecorating my parents' living spaces since I was a child. Like being like, how can I make this more interesting? (laughs) You know, that's incredible to me, you guys, because um, from a near-death experience perspective, I think the reason people are so riveted to like redesigning their spaces and beautifying their spaces and focusing on bringing beauty here is to bring a little heaven here in the way we can. Because we haven't figured out how to do it on a political scale. So we're doing it creatively. Mm. And it leaves a lasting impression. You know? I absolutely love that. Because, you know, there's like a huge thing going on in society where like, if you're a successful Black artist, right? It's like, you're a successful Black artist, not just a successful artist. Mm-hmm. And we love to hear about slave narratives. We love hearing about the overcoming of oppression and all these different things. Like if you look at like Paul McCarthy's work, he's playing with his penis and you're just like, why is this at the Hammer Museum? Can somebody please explain to me mm-hmm. why this is relevant and still relevant? But he's white and he's a male and he's straight and he gets to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing that I try to do with my work is use beauty as a way to be political without being overtly political. I don't want to be known, like, of course, I have no shame. I love being Black. I think it's one of the most extraordinary things about me. But I don't want to be pigeonholed in the way that society wants. Like, I had a piece at Mocha, a flower arrangement that I change out every week. And it was an homage to my grandmother because she is the reason why I create in the way that I create. And she created my mother, who is also the person that inspires me. And my uncle, whatever. You get the point. So beautiful. I gave myself certain restrictions, like something on the arrangement had to be blinged out because my grandmother loves rhinestones. Something had to be, everything had to be designed in a series of threes because my grandmother's design principle is the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's one of the things she taught me as a kid was like, do things in like groups of threes. And that's the way she explained it. (laughs) I love that. And then the other thing was my grandmother picked cotton as a young person. So... I always incorporated cotton into the arrangement. 
Now the thing, whenever I would hear a docent talking about the piece, they literally latched on to the cotton narrative. And that was just like major eye roll because I'm like, but it's beautiful. And they're like formal elements or things that made this arrangement special that fell by the wayside a bit because of, you know, the trauma porn of it all. So I'm constantly trying to counter that or bridge that a bit. And I think beauty is one of those things that we're just like lured in by how luscious and like it feels like candy, but it does allow you to take deeper levels possibly, or at least sit with it longer, long enough that something else could transpire, I think. Also, it's not, I mean, it, it is beauty. I think that beauty is an attribute of the creator, but I think it's also love and purpose through you that dictates that beauty. It's not just like beauty on its own. I think it's what you bring to that. It's your beauty. Yes. No, yes. I think, thank you for that distinction because I do think like, you know, when you think about the experience that somebody has when they come into my coffee shop, it's like, I want them to feel the vibes. I want them to feel seen. This is actually a coffee shop that centers the other, whether you're queer, whether you're Black, whether, I mean, it's a space for everybody. It's universal. But in most major spaces, when you think about who is Target thinking their customer is, it's probably like a white person. Like everything is like white driven. And I was like, what does it look like if you center a black body, if you center someone else, but it's still for everybody? How does that shift what a space feels like, how beautiful it is, what the vibe is? And I think that that is where I also try to add more context than just straight up surface level beauty. Mm-hmm adding all the complexities without being oppressed by the complexities. Mm. I think I I wrote this down the other day where I was like, I'm interested in elevating the Black experience without being labeled elevating the Black experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because I think that like our experience is our experience and it's elevated in what it is. But I think from like a design standpoint, from a, a creative standpoint where we have not had the luxury in general to just sit back and appreciate the beauty of something because we're just trying to stay alive and survive mm-hmm. still to this day, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also the thing of just not being factored in, you know, so that's why it has to be labeled the Black experience because mm-hmm. you're not being factored into the collective as a part of it. And it opens to the world too. You're creating that reveals to the world what it's been missing. Mm, Precisely. I I love what I do. I hate what I do. I think the glamorizing of like, that's the other part of this is like, there's a cost. Nothing is free. Nothing is just easy. It's hard one to get to this place, you know, to your question earlier, Julie, like how did you just get to like having more of a free stance on how you operate in the world? This has been incredibly difficult. It's been a lot of um, a lot of major missteps, right? Where I got so caught up in like wanting to be rich and wanting to be like my clients and you know have a curated refrigerator and like all the little like noshes around your space and the different potpourri's and candles and incense and 
in just the pottery in my home and just really like, and it's like, I don't have a staff of six people helping me process my groceries. <laughs> How is my refrigerator going to look beautiful? Mm-hmm. And then in getting caught up in all of that, I'm not focused on my business and the things that actually need to happen. And then it started to fall apart. And I'm spending all the money trying to like keep up with the Joneses. And the the government, the tax board of equalization was like, honey, where's my money? <laughs> so when you realize that the way that you're getting caught up does not work, that's where you have to start really doing deeper looking than what is just served to you. For me, because my life wasn't working in the way that I was told that it was supposed to work. And so then I have to renegotiate, like, what is the meaning of life to me? Being a judge on Full Bloom, I don't know how these contestants do it. They're expected to put their whole heart and all of their feelings into their work and then immediately remove themselves from it so that the three judges can judge the shit out of what they've just done. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? I would never do that. My ego is way too fragile <laughs> to have somebody immediately telling me what I did was good, bad, not good, whatever. But I do relate to it because I had to figure out how to do that in my business. Like how to not take it personally. It has nothing to do with me. Money is being exchanged for my services. So how do I do a great job, but also not get so attached to it where if they don't like it or they want an adjustment, that isn't a reflection on how creative or uncreative I am. Mm. And so I keep a certain level of creativity for me. My Blackness project is for me. When I put it out into the world because... I think it should be there. I think that it forwards the conversation. If no one buys it, that's okay. I wanted to do it because I thought it was worth it and I thought it was beautiful. And that's all there is. Yeah. It's about those separations. It's about the... And it takes a long time to get there to be able to not think that like, oh, my job defines... That's such an American ideal. My job defines my level of success in life, which is like the craziest thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like you could be a very successful person and be very bad at keeping or having jobs. That's true. And and also, you know how the other day, you guys, when we were um, having a conversation about the state of the world and just how, how hard it is, what do you think of everything that you're about? Like Maurice, you're sharing about these creative projects that you put out there and then you save some of that creativity for yourself. But what do you think it does to the earth? Because I think it changes things. Oh, 100%. Hmm. I think that everybody should be creative. I think people should do all kinds of things that make them feel good. But I think when you put it out into the world, you have to be very strategic about how you're contributing to the conversation. Are you forwarding the conversation? Are you deflecting from the conversation? Or is it just all about you? And I really sit with the work that I put out because I hope my my intentions, whether I'm successful or not, is beside the point, is to forward the conversation. And I'm very interested in Black bodies and how we don't value Black bodies in this country and 
it's so easy to eliminate them. And I think that that comes from a history of fear, a history of like, like black men are being killed constantly. And I think it's like a, this ideal that has been put out of like hypermasculinity, hypersexuality, hyper like danger, scary. And so images I try to create are around like vulnerability, around being human. What does it look like if you strip away everything, your clothes, your accoutrement, like all the things that make you quote unquote powerful, and then you just show up and you're just like looking at a camera, like that is surrounded by flowers. I mean, there's such a juxtaposition there. And to me, or my goal is to forward the conversation around how we look at Black bodies, how we look at Black skin, And when they're in conversation with flowers, something that we ideally think as universally beautiful, and then against a Black body that we see as scary or dangerous, what does that start to conjure up? But then when you see them together, they're so beautiful and there's so much love and there's so much vulnerability. How can you not see that, right? So putting things out in the world that, to me, help forward the conversation is important. If I start painting portraits of my dog while I love him so much and he is the love of my life, I don't know necessarily (laughs) that that's going to be forwarding the conversation. So that will be for me. Mm -hmm. And I think getting those distinctions of the things that we create for us versus what we're putting out into the world, right? I think I, I'm always naked on my Instagram and I am never naked at home. Mm-hmm. The only time I am naked is when I am in the shower. <laughs> and I do that as a way to A, be sensational, of course, and to get a reaction, but also as a way for me to become more comfortable with my body because I am not. And it is not the bodies that I see that are celebrated on the internet, in the world as like, this is beautiful. This is acceptable. This is like what people should look like. Even though most of the world, I have a very average body. Maurice, you are so beautiful. And thank you very much. You know this. But it has taken me a while to like become comfortable with the uncomfortable. And so I'm constantly trying to push myself outside of my comfort zone to again for the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to doing things for yourself, I think that gives you sustenance to be able to afford giving of yourself in the other ways. Like I just started painting. I'm probably never going to paint for anybody or anything. It's for me, but me painting for me helps me do whatever it is that I do better. It gives me a, a different kind of therapy that I need in order to be able to do all the other things that I'm doing. Cause it's, it's in such juxtaposition to what I do like the creativity that I make money off of or that is connected to my livelihood. And in order for it to still feel free and creative, I need to have balance and do it in other ways. And so I think it's so important to do those things for you so that you have the energy to be able to do the things that are now connected to a livelihood because it does change. It shifts it. You have to be more deeper in your practice because it's now connected to something different. Yes. 
as soon as money is exchanged, it changes the dynamics of one's creative expression. It's no longer about you. It's about the client that you're creating it for. Yes. While people ask for you to show up and to do your thing and all of that, it doesn't have the same purity mm-hmm. that it does when you're doing it for yourself. And when you've been disillusioned, like we do in this country, that like you can be fulfilled by your job if you just follow mm-hmm. your passion and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, and mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you keep some of that passion for yourself because you will just go bonkers and become so miserable and upset. I know from experience of feeling victimized, taken advantage of, and like, do people even know what it takes for me to be this creative? Do people even know like how much extra product I showed up with? Do they even know, like, you know, just all of it. And it's like, bro, why are you so mad? And it's like, because I put everything into this thing that I shouldn't have. Which is why motivation is so important too, because If you're doing it to better the world, that's the greatest service you can ever offer the world. And then regardless of what the world makes of you, it's not going to reflect. And Maurice, you were talking about the financial, like being remunerated for what you create and put out there, which changes everything. But I think also just being in the public eye, you better be really strong in yourself because people are distorted and they're coming from millions of perceptions. And that's the truth. And none of them perhaps will capture all of you or even some of what you were originally intending and how much labor you put into it. But one thing I know for sure is that if your motivation is to be true to your purpose in life and come from a place of love, and you were saying Maurice Purity, It doesn't matter. It'll transmute whatever else is out there, whatever venomous poison, criticism, hating. It'll be the alchemy through all of that. And I do, I I feel very strongly that when you are pure in your intentions of creating, even if it is for yourself or whatever, and you put it out there, I think it comes back to you tenfold. And not that you're creating it for that purpose, but that's just how the universe works, right? Um, If you selflessly give or you're selflessly like creating and putting things out there with that intention, I think that's when it resonates. When you're like, oh my God, so this is going to be really great. People are going to love this. They're going to buy this, blah, blah, blah. It kind of contaminates it. Because I know from my own experience, like I was raised hardcore Christian. And there are, I think with every religion, there are principles in them that really make a lot of sense. It's like man and their interpretation can often like, you know, make it a little dangerous. But I do love this idea when you're tithing and you make that a regular practice, like giving 10% of your money just away, how that comes back to you tenfold. So I see that as like, that relates to anything. I remember I was working at Crate and Barrel and I didn't have barely any money. I had, I think, $140 in my bank account. And all my friends, we were out to dinner. It was something celebratory. And um, I don't know why something came over me to treat everybody. And I just did it. I was like, my treat didn't say anything about like, I ain't got no money. Like, <laughs> I have $30 left now. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
And mind you, I'm treating people that have much more money than I have. Mm -hmm. I'm like the broke one at the table. And um, the next day I had like a $25,000 sale at Crate and Barrel. I worked in the furniture department. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen every day. You know, that happened once a month or every two months or something like that. And I was just like, whoa, it literally was like from one day to the next that I was able to see when you selflessly give or like when you're just like show up for whatever that thing is, how the universe will reward you or like give that back in these very, sometimes it's one-to-one like that. And sometimes it's like a little different, but we're all connected. It's all a circle. It's all like, you know. Yeah. The most important part of your story is like something told you to. And you listen to that thing. It wasn't like there wasn't any ulterior motivation there. Like there isn't, there wasn't an expectation. There wasn't an agenda. It was just like you had the thing that came to you and you're like, Hmm. I'm going to listen to that voice versus suppress it and think of all the other things. And I'm just going to trust that there's a reason why I have this feeling, you know, or that voice. And that's the thing we're not. Really, I mean, that's part of the intuition that we're not taught to trust. It's that thing. And like, the more I listen to it, the more free I become. Yes. You know, I've had to fire clients, right? Like where it's like, you don't like my work. Why do you hire me? Mm. Because I'm cool, because you like me. Like, but those are all great. We can have lunch, you know? But like, you make my life miserable when... (laughs) You are asking me to do me, but like not. And then it just becomes this weird battle where I'm just like, why am I doing? And that voice is there, but you're like, but I need the money, but I need to like pay these bills. I have payroll to get blah, 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 that you don't listen often. But I have paid the price one too many times now Mm. that I just hear it, even when it doesn't make sense to me. The universe has like not let me down yet. But one of the things that I've been trying to practice a lot and that I've like been taking inventory of and like looking at is how certain people make me feel when I'm around them and why, and then why I engage with it. Because every single person that you talk to or hang out with all make you feel something. And then it's like, but why? I've thought about how long you've been in my life for and what you make me feel every time I'm around you. Just like everything you're talking about. It's your level of accountability. It's your awareness. It's your creativity. And in addition to being a light, I've always viewed you as a gift. Anytime you enter a room, you're a gift to that room. Like we're all so lucky that you're there. And I'm not saying this on an ego thing. It's It's because of the world that is you, that you bring into every room, that you bring into every space. And when I opened my store, I brought you to the store and I was like, Maurice, what would you do? Like, would you design this? Because I wanted that aspect of like your purpose and your design, like, I want my store to feel like a gift, Mm. you know? You make us bloom. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's the truth. Do you remember, Melody, at your wedding and and you were getting dressed and, you know, all your girls were there and everything was intense. Mm -hmm. We'd already been there for hours 
And then Maurice, you walked in. And just swoosh. You walked in and just like swoosh. Everybody just came to life. And it wasn't just that magnificent headpiece you had created for Melody. It was you. Mm-hmm. You just brought the light, the love, and the magic. Something a little mysterious. Mm, I love that. I mean, it's rare to you in the way that you do it, but all of us bring different aspects of things, you know, and it's it's really important to question why. Like, why are we attracted to those mm. things? Why do we, for me, there's so many people that work with me that aren't necessarily the best at what they do, but they're the best at who they are. And I think I almost prefer that to the skill. Oh 100%. my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That makes me want to go off because... <laughs> I, my patience level for people is abysmal. Like I can't deal. I literally can't deal. So if I have to look at you all day long and listen to you all day long, you have to be one of my people. I'd rather you be mediocre at your job and like be such a delight to be around than be spectacular at your job and drive me nuts. We can have a whole other podcast about running a small business. I just more and more, I'm just trying to like lean into understanding my purpose and really like lots of work in therapy, understanding who I am. It's not just who you are. It's what you are. You know what you bring. Even if you didn't do anything that you do, even if you weren't Maurice of Bloom and Plume or Maurice of blah, 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 it's who you've always been. Yeah. If you were to bring my mom on here, she would just be like, he's literally always been like this. Mm-hmm. Just a hot ass man. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. I've always just had that like kind of beat to my own drum, like doing my thing, like, um, which is interesting because my mom is very similar to that as well. And I think when we were kind of talking about that, we're incubated by these people. That has been the most fascinating thing to me getting older is how I'm turning into my parents in Mm -hmm. ways that I have been like vehemently avoiding, Mm -hmm. like really working hard to not do. And like, I'll be in therapy and my therapist will be like, oh, well, that's just like your narcissism. Like real casual. (laughs) Oh, God. Dude, I'm on a whole other thing right now where I'm, okay, not only just becoming like my parents, but... I'm realizing like what aspects of my husband are my dad. And I'm just like, oh, did I marry my dad? Or which friends of mine represent which parents and like what dysfunctional parts. And I'm like, did I just, am I friends with, what is happening? Because there's a payoff and we don't change until it's painful enough, right? So yes. like the universe will keep giving us a problem or a thing or whatever until it's painful enough that we won't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. One of mine is like, my therapist will be like, God, you're one of the most, like your control levels are just really next level. You really will not let go. You will not surrender. And I was like, I don't know what you mean by that. Mm -hmm. And it's like a few years ago where I got in like three car accidents in one month totaled a car, the same car twice. My therapist was like, do you see the sign? I was like, no. 
He was like, slow down, pay attention. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and you would think that after three accidents in a row, like you would get it, you would hear it, you would see it. But like we spent a lifetime, our, our most formative years developing the traumas that are going to be our Achilles heel for life. Mm-hmm. And for me now, it's a matter of accepting it, loving it and embracing it. Like I am a very angry person. I'm a black gay man living in America. Hello. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed or I'm not happy about the way my circumstances end up. But yet now, as opposed to being oppressed by it, I try to have fun with it, you know, because it's not me. Like when I'm on set, when I was on the set of Full Bloom filming it, I feel like a prisoner. I feel like a slave. I feel like I have no agency. I mean, I literally have to ask to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I will be 40 in a couple of months. And I have to ask someone to go to the bathroom for the bathroom key, actually. (laughs) It was insane to me. But like my therapist was like, you know, this is transgenerational trauma. Like this is stuff outside of yourself that you were working through. He was like prisoner, slave. And he just like tapped in and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even put that together. And all the performative COVID measures where everything is about, quote unquote, your safety, but there's nothing safe about it is just to be like, we're doing the performance of everybody being safe is just, it makes my blood boil. Mm -hmm. And figuring out how to then not take all of that so personally and just be, that has been, I really turned the corner on that finally. We only get there when it's painful enough. (sighs) So after getting angry about things that I can't control and it taking me out Mm -hmm. for multiple days where the person that made me mad is still living their best life. Right. No, you get to be free too. No. But this is what I was asking Julie last week. I was like, is it really always happen through pain? 110%. Because (sighs) think about it. Think about it. I can't tell you the amount of time, like when when you're a kid and your mom's like, don't touch the fire, don't touch the fire, don't touch the fire. You don't believe her Mm -hmm. until you touch the fire and you get burned. And you're like, oh, that's why she said don't touch the fire. (laughs) Every once in a while, we can kind of put our logic together to be like, hmm, that seems dangerous. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But Or if you grew up being imprinted instead of from history, imprinted with yourself, with your natural predispositions, then you would trust your intuition and you would not need pain for growth. I do see that pain wakes us up, but are we tired of doing it that way? Aren't we tired? Can we not just show up together and rebuild, recreate without a whole lot more pain? My therapist says like, my addictions are a shapeshifter. Oh, I love that. It goes from me over shopping to having too much sex to overeating to being overly indulgent with like not being on a schedule, like whatever. Like when you start to see that none of them work anymore because it is too painful, I think you're able to hold it differently. Or at least that's how I have been. Like, I'm learning in a new way where it's still painful, but I kind of know those blows 
I know how to like hold it a little bit differently mm. where it doesn't feel like my house just burnt down. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm trying to learn how to identify them because I feel like there's me, like grown ass me, but then there's like somebody will say something and then all of a sudden I'm nine again or I'm 12 again. And I'm like, why do I keep getting pulled back? It's about pulling all those parts forward so that I'm not taken back to that like one traumatic moment when I was nine or that one time where my dad wasn't nice to me or whatever stupid thing happened that I just internalized and held on to as like a landmine that somebody can just come and like poke the bear and I'm like in a whole frenzy about. So my sister is doing this cool work Mm. Um, that might relate to what you're doing where she's named all of her child triggers. She's like, there's middle school jazz. And so she's like spent the last like six months like indulging them. So she just like goes and sees them, right? Don't you wish we could have like a school for this? There needs to be like a Hogwarts school for inner work that everybody should be required to do. Oh, because it would be so we good. Would, we would be free. We would be free. She just bought a cabbage patch. She like has. <laughs> and what she's doing is she's like freeing these people, quote unquote, that like when somebody says something that triggers her back to that middle school jazz, she's able to like know and be like, girl, we see you. Mm-hmm. Don't go running rampant because she also has like a crazy side. And now she can like hold space with like these triggered identities that are within her own person. Mm. It's pretty cool. That's incredible. Yeah, I just call all of mine Smelody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, there that bitch goes again. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh, Maurice, we love you so much. Thank you. you Yeah, so easy to be with you, Maurice. You're such a pleasure to be around and in conversation. I wish you were with us all the time. Thank you. This was really fun. We just got right into this. Do we need some sort of like intro thing or something? (laughs) Sometimes we go back and re-record an intro and we'll be like, well, I have Maurice. Okay. Hey guys, it's Maurice coming to you live. (laughs) I know you're ready if we need such a thing. (laughs) Yeah, you just let me know. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Mm. it's been a pleasure. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. Thank you.